Good morning, church. How are we today? Good, good. Uh, first of all, let me just uh, thank Elijah for leading us this morning. Thank you, brother. And Scott on the drums, just grateful for uh, friends from Gospel City to help serve us uh, in this time to give our guys a break for the week. Uh, but for now, let me invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. The title of the message this morning is When Sin Overwhelms You. When Sin Overwhelms You. The, the Christian life is a very unique life. You know, at times, like in the beginning, where God, for the first time, opens your eyes to the glorious salvation, when he reveals sin in your life and then forgives you, that, that overwhelming sense of joy is incredible. How many of you remember that day, or that, that, at least that season of life where God saved you from your sin? Those are incredible times, times in our life where we see God move in such a way where it just left us in a place of worship. Like, we have those experiences in our life as Christians. But there's also another side to that. Even though God has rescued those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, we still struggle with sin, right? Like, we still deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and I don't know about you, but there are times where I feel undone. I feel like, God, why do I keep acting like a fool? In, the, in these moments, they can be overwhelming when, when God opens our eyes to our sinfulness and we are exposed realizing, I still need Jesus deeply. Those are critical moments for us. And it really brings us to a place where it calls for self-examination. And these thoughts are not unique to the author here of Psalm 130. What we're going to see is a man who dealt with seeing his sin and crying out to God for mercy. And what we'll see is an example of how to respond in those seasons where God reveals sin. So let's just look at this psalm together. Follow along with me as I read. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your incredible mercy towards sinful people. Father, even this week, our, our sin on one, in one moment of our week would be enough to condemn us for, to hell forever. And yet, by your grace, for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, we are forgiven for our sins of yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we still, though, we, we struggle. There are moments in our life where we drift and we allow sin to reign and 
And Lord, it's it's a battle to know how do we handle that? And so this morning, I, I, pray, I pray for those believers who, who are dealing with the guilt of their sin this morning, that you would, you would help them, that you would point them to you, that you would remind them of what your word says. Father, I pray for those who do not know you as Savior. I pray that you would do your work of conviction. I pray that you would bring them to the end of their selves so that all they can do is see you, that, that they would be exposed to their desperate need for you and that they might cry out for mercy this morning for the first time. God, wherever we find ourselves, I pray that you would be an ever-present help this morning. And I thank you, Lord, where two or more are gathered in your name and your presence with us is our hope. Our pre- your presence with us is our joy. And so be glorified through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I trust that Everyone here, every believer can relate to this text. Uh, First of all, uh, isn't this the the picture of conversion, how how we come to Christ? Notice how in verses 1 and 2, there's this cry out to the Lord for mercy. And and he's reminded, he he knows who God is in verses 3 and 4. He's aware of his judgment, but he's also aware of, of his forgiveness. And so he He experiences his forgiveness, and so he waits on the Lord. His soul waits and hopes in the word of God. That's what happens when God rescues us. He he gives us a hunger and a thirst for him and for his word. And then it leads him. The only thing he knows what to do is then to proclaim it to the world who so desperately needs it. This this is a, a picture of what happens when God rescues us from our sin. But I think it also is very helpful to know how to respond as believers when we are caught up ourselves in sin. When we are exposed to the reality of our sin, there are a few questions that we need to answer in order to make our way through the mess. And so let's start with the first question. It's this. Who am I? Who am I? Look at verse 1 again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So we see right right away here that the psalmist has has found himself in a a desperate situation. He's in the the depths of darkness. And so he's crying out to the Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And I want you to notice what he's crying for. Be attentive. Be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. You see, we don't know exactly what the psalmist is facing. We don't know what he's dealing with. But what we do know is that he is aware of his sin. What is mercy? Mercy is when we don't get something that we deserve. It's a, it's a good thing when we don't get what we deserve from the Lord. He is overwhelmed by his sin. He is in the depths of darkness, and, and he is crying out for mercy. And here's what I love about this psalmist is he makes no excuses. He's not trying to blame anybody else. He knows that he is guilty. Sadly, we live in a world where that doesn't always come about easily for people to recognize and to commit their own guilt. But let me ask you, is it wrong to feel guilty? Not if you are. (laughs) 
if you're feeling the guilt of your sin, if you're feeling the shame of it, this is a gift from God. We should feel shameful of our sin. We should feel guilty if we are guilty. And the reality is for all of us, we are all guilty before God. And, and here's the problem. So many people deal with guilt in the wrong way. One way we see people deal with guilt is just by denying it altogether. Denying that they have a problem to begin with. And, and I really, this is, this is a major hurdle for so many people. Uh, you've, you've heard me say this, a, a quote from John Piper's dad, who, who said this to John. He said, you know, the problem isn't getting people saved, it's getting people lost. People don't know that they're lost. People don't know that they need mercy. I mean, you, you see how this idea plays out in culture, right? Do you remember when gender dysphoria actually used to be a mental problem? And, and now we are in a society that is spreading the lies that, no, that's okay. That's just how God made you. Oh, you're not happy in your marriage? Guess what? You, you deserve to be happy. You, you should leave that marriage and, and find happiness. Like, whenever we start to deny that we have a problem, society goes sideways. But listen, this is not just a problem in the world. I see this in the church. I, I see this positive thinking mentality. Now, it's not, it's not wrong to think about positive thoughts of what God says about us, but, but we can do so in a way that is detrimental. I was talking to somebody this week who was at a team building thing at what I thought was a Christian camp. And, and what they revealed to me is that one of the big messages they pushed and, and their gospelness of, of what they've learned about Jesus and what he's done for us couldn't handle it. And what they were portraying is, is that, hey, you're good enough. You're good enough. Brothers and sisters, as believers in Christ, I, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that we are not good enough. If we were good enough, then why did Jesus need to die? Listen, we need to ask ourselves when we are dealing with the depths of darkness, who am I? The first thing we need to understand is that we need mercy. We are sinners in need of mercy. We can't deny this. Listen, another thing that I see people do, what I have done from time to time, is rationalize our guilt. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I might have some problems, but have you seen this guy over here? <laughs> He's got way more problems than me, so you know what? I'm pretty good compared to him, so I'm, I'm all right. Listen, before Almighty God, nobody has a place to stand. We are all guilty. We all desperately need mercy. We're not going to be able to go before God on judgment day one day and say, hey, God, did you see who my parents were? Did you see what kind of stuff they put me through? Well, hey, look, you, you have to understand who my boss was. They, they made me be this way. Hey, you don't know the environment that I was raised in. Listen, we all are going to answer to God for our hearts and our hearts alone. No one will get a free pass. Listen to what Romans chapter 14 verses 10 through 12 says. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, O you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, when we, we find ourselves in a mess, whether we are believers or not, 
we need to ask the question, who am I? And the answer to that question is we are sinners in need of mercy. Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here's the next question. Who is God? Who is God? These are incredibly breathtaking verses in light of who God is. I just want you to sit on verse 1 for a moment. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Lord, if, if you started handing out the punishment due, deserved because of our sin, who could survive? This is not a question that he is wondering the answer to. This is a rhetorical question. He knows the answer. The answer is so obvious. No one could stand. The first question to the question of who is God, it's this. The first answer is this. God is judge. God is judge. He has declared the standard of holiness, and he alone is perfect, and he will hold everybody to that standard. And if he wanted to, he could justly declare us all guilty and to send us into hell for eternity. Brothers and sisters, this should lead us to deep humility. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Imagine God walks through those doors right now, in person, in the flesh. We see him. He comes up on the stage. The first thing I'm doing is I'm cowering to my seat, bowing down. And imagine, one by one, he has some chairs up here, and he invites us to sit next to him. And he starts calling out every sin that we've ever believed for everyone to hear. Who would not walk out in utter shame? This is what he's, he's thinking. God, I'm crying to you for mercy. I don't deserve it. If you would treat me as I deserved, I would not have anything to stand on. We must understand that God is judge. The psalmist is left undone by this question. Yet it, he doesn't allow it to keep him from running to him. You, you see, we must be completely humbled by God's holiness. But don't forget verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. What a sweet reality to go from, and who could, I, who, who could stand, Lord, if you started marking us for our sins? Oh, but God, you are a forgiving God. Yes, you're holy, but you are merciful. Listen, this, this, is, this, is part, this is part of God that, if I'm honest, I struggle with this. I get God's judgment. I get God's holy, and I, I love him for that. I love him for his holiness. I don't, I don't have any ill feelings towards that, but often I just get overwhelmed at how sinful I am. Even in light of God's salvation, it's not like I'm committing these massive sins, but my heart is so wicked sometimes. And I need to remember in those moments that God is a forgiving God. His word says that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is 
merciful. Do you, do you tend to dwell on your sin too much? We can't effectively live for the glory of Christ and be continually dwelling on how far short of God we fall. So brothers and sisters, receive this good news this morning. If you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you. He's faithful to purify you. If you are feeling the weight of your sin this morning, let me ask you, have you repented? If you have repented, have you accepted and received Christ's forgiveness for your sin? Let me just have you turn back in the, toward like a few chapters back in Psalm to Psalm 103. We're going to get a picture of what Christ has done to the sins of every person who has ever placed their faith in Christ for salvation. Psalm 103, verse 8, listen to these sweet words. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I just want to point out for a second, what part of the Bible is this written in? Old or New Testament? Old Testament. Now, often what we think about, people look at God and think, well, God's just this wrathful, angry God. No, he's not. God is so incredibly merciful, we have no idea. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Is that not amazing? This morning, you have breath. Why? Because he has not treated you according to your sins. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Christ, your sin has been done away with. You are forgiven in Jesus, you are no longer defined by your past failures. You will no longer be judged by your sins of yesterday, today, or your sins that you will commit tomorrow. God has placed the righteousness of Jesus on your life. But listen, we must be careful that we, we learn a lesson from this forgiveness. We, we must understand that, that we can't just accept God's forgiveness and have this this, 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 uh, this attitude that, you know what, God forgives me, and so I can just do whatever I want to because he's going to forgive me anyway. Listen, there's a reason, there's something that we should learn in light of his forgiveness. There's a reason why he forgives us. Look at the, ver the second part of verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The CSB translates the word feared as revered. Listen, when, when we are aware of who we are apart from Christ, when we are aware of how desperately we need mercy, and when we understand the judgment of God that is coming upon the sins of every person, whether it be the judgment on, placed on Christ or the judgment placed on the unrepentant sinner, and when we realize that he forgives us of our sin, the only response, the only appropriate response is to be in awe. Aaron kind of mentioned it this morning, like the older he gets, the more... He is moved by the reality of what Christ has done. It's the way it should be. Well, 
But listen, if you, quote, unquote, repent of your sins and go about your life unchanged, claiming God's forgiveness, not caring about your sin because, oh, God's just going to forgive it, then you don't understand God's mercy. We don't experience a picture of our sinfulness. We don't understand God as being holy and judge and just and the punisher of sin. We don't, we don't experience his forgiveness truly and then go on living our life as though nothing changed. To experience forgiveness is to be left undone in awe of our Savior. So let me ask you, do you know who God is? Do you understand that he is the judge? He is holy. And no one could stand if he started marking us. But also, he is a forgiving God. Which calls us to lead us to be in awe of him. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Here's the next question. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Here, you, you see this progression, this, this cry for mercy, this this. This plea that I'm broken and I, I need a Savior. And then the reminder of like the reason I need a Savior is because you are holy. And yet, even in your holiness, you offer forgiveness through the blood of your Son. That's what we know on this side of the cross. And now, he's experienced his forgiveness and he's resting in the Father. I wait for you, God. My hope is in your word now. I'm not going to go by what my emotions say. I'm not going to go by what I think. I'm not going to go by what other people are trying to tell me. I'm not going to go by what the enemy is trying to tell me. My hope now is in your word. Where does our help come from? Let me remind us who we are apart from Christ. Psalm 51 verse 4 says this, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Listen, if God is the one that we have sinned against, then God is our only hope. And listen, believer, this is, this is not some kind of wishful hope as the world has. It's not like, oh, I hope I get to do this. I hope I get to experience that. This is a sure, true hope. This has happened for believers. We are forgiven. If you have genuinely repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you have sure hope. Your help comes from the Lord. And listen, he, he's given us this great tool what an amazing gift his word is. This is what the, this is what the psalmist, psalmist, think about this. Did they have this whole book? Did this psalmist have the whole book? No. Think about how hopeful he is. And think about all the more reason why we have hope, knowing what Jesus has done. He's made a way for us when there was no way. This is our hope. And we read this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. You've heard the song, Yes and Amen. That's just not some cool song somebody came up with. It's right out of Scripture here. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. To say amen says it's done. It's finished. This is the truth. Listen, do you know the promises of God? Are you leaning on the promises of God or are you trusting in your own understanding? We sang about it. Christ is a firm foundation. But what foundation are you building your life on? It's a worthy question. Listen, I don't want you to answer this question as you're at home with the Bible school answer. Where does my help come from? I want you to think about that question of right now, the way that you are living, where is your help coming from? When the storm comes, when the winds blow, where does your heart turn to? Are you turning to the hope of God's word? Are you turning to the salvation work of Jesus Christ? Or are you running from your troubles by binging on Netflix? Burying yourself in a relationship that you should not be a part of? Are you building your life on running to food for comfort? Running through drugs and alcohol that do not satisfy and only leave you more empty. For the psalmist, he has come to rest in the Lord. And I want you to see his urgency here. Look at how he waits for the Lord, verse 6. More than watchmen for the morning. He, he is so urgently waiting for the Lord that he says it twice. More than watchmen for the morning. So what is a watchman? So think, of, think about a, a town, a, a village. Think of like a, a fenced-in area. It's got high walls, and you have towers, and you have people up there who are looking out to make sure there's no enemy. That, that's what a watchman does. A watchman is looking to see if there's an enemy. Now let me ask you, uh, if an enemy is going to attack, what time of day is the best time to attack? At night, right? When the, when the, the element of surprise, you can't fully see at night. And so imagine... You, being the watchman, the leader of the village, says, hey, you're on watch for the night. I need you to be extra careful, though. There's an enemy lurking, and attack could be imminent. I need you to have your eyes fully on the landscaping to make sure the enemy doesn't sneak up on us. This is the urgency of a watchman, of longing for the daylight because when the daylight comes it exposes the horizon you can see what's coming but but listen the, the psalmist is waiting for the lord even more than that even more urgent than a village being attacked on god i need you i'm waiting on you in fact i'm resting on you when all the things of this world are trying to gather my attention or trying to distract me from you i'm gonna wait on you I wonder, believer, is this the sort of urgency that you have for the Lord? Are you waiting on him with more fervency than a watchman for the morning? Are you building your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his word? Or are you building on sand? Where does your help come from? Look at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Here's the last question to ponder. Now what? 
You've experienced the understanding of your need for mercy. You've come to the Lord as judge, but also as forgiver. You've experienced his forgiveness. You're waiting on the Lord. You're, you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're seeking him in the word. Now what? And, and here's, what here's what the psalmist is doing. He can't help but go and tell the world, tell those around him, there's a great hope. You don't have to live in the muck and mire of your sin. There is a Savior who has paid the price for you. That's the message that we have, believer. We aren't meant to receive the forgiveness of God, to rest in his promises, and then go sit in our houses. There's a world desperately longing for some kind of hope, seeking multiple other things. And they need believers who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then going and proclaiming. This news is too good to keep to ourselves. And listen to these three massive statements declared about God from this passage. Three reasons why God is our hope. First of all, look at verse 7. It says that with the Lord there is steadfast love. What does the word steadfast mean? The word steadfast means never giving up, never letting go, persevering, even despite our foolishness as believers. Christ, his love stays on his people. He pursues his people. He doesn't give up. He doesn't roll our eyes. He doesn't get frustrated with us because he understands our frame. He understands that we are weak. How great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He will always be faithful, right? right? The song that we sang, so why would he give up now? He won't. He won't. Another reason why God is our hope, verse 7 continues, says this, with the Lord there is plentiful redemption. Isn't that beautiful words? Plentiful redemption. Listen, when I think about that, I think of this. Christ can redeem even the vilest of sinners. What is one hurdle that people have in coming to church or coming to Christ or coming to the Lord? It's this, it's this overwhelming sense of like they do know they're, how sinful they are. Like God could never allow me to come into the church. God could never forgive someone like me. And what, what the psalmist is saying is like, no, listen, this is incredible news. With the Lord, there is plentiful redemption. If you still have breath, you could never be so bad that I would not come to you if you repent of your sin and place your faith in me. This is the message, believer, that we are called to give to a world where many people are overwhelmed at how messed up they are. The world is trying to tell them a different message. No, you're okay. You're fine. We're trying to say, no, you're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus is the one who paid the price and lived the life that we could not live. There's plentiful redemption. Listen, when you are a believer in Jesus, when you, come to, when you understand how sinful you are, and when you compare that to the holiness of God and yet his forgiving power to forgive you of your sin, you can't help but be overwhelmed by his grace. So that when you're counting others, even though you may not have the rap sheet that they may have, you still realize that you didn't deserve salvation a single day of your life. With the Lord is plentiful redemption. 
And then look at that last statement in verse 8. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He will redeem the big C church from all their iniquities. That's such good news. I'm tired. There are days where I'm just like, Lord, come quickly. But my hope, even in the struggle of today, is that one day Jesus is going to be do away with all sin, all troubles, all trials. We tarry for the night, but there is joy coming in the morning when Jesus returns to take his people home. So brothers and sisters in Christ, take the good news to the world around you. Share of his steadfast love. Proclaim his plentiful redemption. Speak of the fact that one day all sin will be done away with for those who have put their faith in Christ. So as we close, let me remind you of these questions to ask when we find ourselves struggling in sin. Who am I? I am a sinner in need of mercy. Who is God? He is judge. He is holy. He could wipe me out if he wanted, but he is a merciful, forgiving God. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. My hope is in what his word says, not what I believe, not what I feel, but in what is written down in his truth. Now what? Go. Go into the world and make disciples of all people. Tell the world of his redemption. Tell the world of his forgiveness of the iniquities of every believer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have been incredibly gracious and merciful to us. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, not a wishful, dreamy hope, but a true, sure hope that, Lord, one day you're coming back for your people. And that even though we struggle with sin from time to time, Lord, would you remind us that we are continually in need of mercy? Would you remind us, Lord, humble us in the fact that even though you are holy and righteous and perfect, there is forgiveness that's found in you? So, Lord, in that, keep us humble, keep us in awe, keep us in wonder that you would welcome us into your family. God, remind us that you are a firm foundation. Remind us of the hope and the promises of your word that find their yes in Christ so that we can say amen to your glory. And then, God, keep us from hiding it in our homes. Keep us from getting distracted by the pleasures of this world. There's so much stuff that, that calls for our attention. So many things that we're tempted to put our hope in, Lord, even good things like family. Family is great, but it's not ultimate, Lord. Remind us that we are here for one main purpose, to glorify your name, to lift your name high, to proclaim the goodness of Christ to a dying world. God, remind us of that, Lord. Daily I forget. <laughs> Daily I forget. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Remind us of 
how strong that we are, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who our foundation is, Lord. You are our firm foundation, and we thank you for your grace and your mercies, and it's in his name we pray.